This is Glenn Crooks on Frame. The business of sports, specifically MLS expansion and the future MLS television contract, that's going to be a bulk of this episode with insider Corey Leff. But before we get to that, no question it's been an interesting offseason for MLS, especially New York City FC. First, you had head coach Dome Tehran and four assistants mutually agree with the club to part ways. And last week, I confirmed an ESPN report that several MLS teams have contacted Tehran, and he is listening with interest. So while at one time expressing doubt that Tehran would return to MLS, it is now my expectation. Then you have NYCFC Sporting Director Claudio Reyna, the first employee hired by New York City. He's leaving for Austin to start that expansion side. They begin play in 2021. David Lee, who is given enormous credit for his work behind the scenes with New York City, he's been promoted to sporting director. One of Toronto's assistants, Albert Pooch, was featured in our last episode. Uh, he said moving to Japan was on his life list, and he's now manager of a second division squad in the J-League. Interesting comments from uh, Albert. Go back and uh, listen to that episode if you haven't. Then there's the player transactions. Not many surprises. The uh, fourth goalkeeper, MLS college draftee Jeff Caldwell, who Reyna had followed closely at his alma mater, the University of Virginia, was selected by Bruce Arena and New England in the MLS waiver draft. And then there's Eric Miller, acquired last year to provide depth at fullback in the absence of injured homegrown Joe Scally. He was taken by expansion Nashville. They begin play next year. That was in the MLS reentry draft. And I'll be definitely catching up with Miller again sometime in December. He's one of seven members of the MLS Players Association Executive Committee who had uh, given us an informed briefing on frame a couple of months back with the negotiations, uh, CBA expiring at the end of January. Things will be heating up soon as the new year approaches with, uh, without an agreement. And uh, also on a future episode announced last week, a new homegrown. He's Tavon Gray. I'll have an exclusive with Tavon, plus the men who helped seal the deal, David Lee and NYCFC Academy Director Sam Pugsley. On to John Wall Street. This is definitely hashtag sports biz. So on their Twitter account, it says sports business, sports finance, sports media, and recently now becoming a part of the Sports Illustrated family. Good stuff for them. I do get their daily newsletter. And I'm always alerted to anything related to soccer, uh, especially MLS. So with that in mind, I want to bring in the uh, founder of John Wall Street. He's Corey Left. Corey, what's happening? Hey, Glenn. Uh, thanks for having me. You're quite welcome. I, I, I do want to focus on a couple of things specifically. And then if anything else pops up, usually when we chat, we go in different directions. But so be it. But we've got MLS expansion, which is uh, very, very hot. And then there's a new television agreement uh, coming up in MLS. Not immediately. The current contract ends after the 2022 season, and then there'll be a new contract. Interestingly, uh, the Players Association, uh, they're negotiating a new CBA, and then there's going to be this new contract, which is probably going to be worth a lot more money that they're trying to negotiate into their current package. So it's uh, it's. Uh, an interesting time uh, in MLS, and now that we're done with the MLS Cup, we can focus on some of these off-field things. But first, MLS expansion. So uh, here's what we can say. 
there will be two new teams joining uh, in 2020, Inter-Miami and Nashville. Then it's Austin in 2021, St. Louis 2022, also Sacramento in 2022. And they need one more to make it a nice level 30 teams. And uh, you seem to think it's going to be Charlotte. But that's also, uh, and you put that out in like March, and then Don Garber in his uh, State of the MLS address pretty much put them uh, in front of the in front of the table. Uh, what are you reading in this now? Yeah, that's uh, that's that's what I'm hearing. Uh, Charlotte certainly seems to be uh, in in you know in position to land the 30th franchise. MLS certainly intrigued about the opportunity to bring on another billionaire owner with NFL ties. Um, yeah, Charlotte is, is Charlotte's going to be number 30. That's what's interesting about that story because they uh, it came up Charlotte came up I think in 2017 and it just uh, it was a different ownership group uh, and now you get the power of the NFL and you're talking about David Tepper Carolina Panthers so the uh, the emergence of Charlotte again uh, I suppose it's not a surprise when you've got a guy like that but it, it kind of uh, did it come out of the blue or when did it all start happening? Um, I started hearing about it uh, probably I, sh- I shouldn't say I started hearing about it. I started digging on it back in in March when the league announced that they were going to go to 30 and I started to try to figure out uh, you know was it going to be Detroit was it going to be Phoenix uh, was it going to be Charlotte um, and, and Charlotte seemed to be uh, in the best position because of the ownership group uh, the like, like I said MLS uh, values having NFL owners they value having billionaire owners. Uh, and, and David Tepper certainly fits the bill. So what is the uh, what is the benefit for uh, we know that there's a 200 million dollar price tag to, uh, to to get a franchise. And I read recent reports. I don't know what your uh, information is, but that only four teams in MLS uh, over the last uh, season uh, actually uh, turned a profit. And I never quite understand what that might mean, where revenue comes in and gross and net but uh what what are owners just have to uh understand that they're going to lose money is that is that the basis of this yeah uh well first of all that 200 million dollar number that you speak of are are the numbers that teams i think like 26 and 27 and 28 had sold for or or teams in the late 20s um i don't believe that a number has been uh i don't think a number has been put on charlotte yet or the 30th franchise yet uh, but I do expect that to go up and uh, to talking, you know, expansion beyond 30 teams, uh, I, I would expect a, a dramatic rise on that front um, because you're getting now to the point where when you start divvying up the dollars, it just doesn't make sense um, to, to divvy up, you know, $200 million between 30 owners um, is, is not very much money. And if you're going to be splitting TV rights uh, infinitely, and you're expecting these TV rights to increase in value. Uh, that's not a that's not a great deal for the existing owners. So 200 million is is you know kind of where we're at right now. But expect Tepper to pay a bunch more. And uh, like I said, if we go past 30, uh, that number is going to continue to rise too. But yeah, the, in, in short, you're right. Teams are not making money in MLS. Uh, you have teams that lose anywhere between five and 15 million dollars a season. Uh, you have a league that is still in growth mode, meaning they're still spending on players. They're building academies. They are trying to increase uh, or improve the product. So um, expenses are continuing to rise, but 
there is not a ton of money coming in, and, and I'm not sure exactly where the money comes in moving forward. Uh, most leagues make a lot of money from their television deals, but that's not the case on the MLS side. Uh, MLS only makes $90 million a year, uh, split between the 25 teams or whatever number you said that there were now. Um, and that, no, that number isn't, isn't all MLS either. Uh, a portion of, of that is split. Um, that that package, I believe, that that 90 million a year that they have is currently split up with uh, U.S. men's national team and women's national team, and uh, I believe MLS only gets about 50 to 60 percent of those uh, of that 90 million a year night right now. So um, teams are making you know less than three million dollars a year from from television. Uh, there's just not a lot of money coming in. Now, I could forgive you for not knowing how many teams are in MLS with all these new. There's 24 this year, and there'll be uh, 26 next year. And now the curiosity is who is next in line and what the financial ramifications will be for future franchises beyond Charlotte. Like You're not sure what the Charlotte number will be. How about down the road? Yeah, so... You know, I, I think we're looking at a significant jump here. Um, I don't want to say this will be the number for Charlotte because it seems too dramatic. Um, but I'm hearing for teams 31, 32, uh, if they're going to go above 30, the number is going to have to be upwards of 600 million, uh, three times what they're getting now, uh, simply because the numbers don't work otherwise. The you have if you have 30 teams uh, and you have uh, a $600 million buy-in fee, everybody takes some $20 million. And that, you know, would seem like a decent payday if the TV media rights deal is only currently generating $3 million per. Um, but, you know, is anybody going to do that if, uh, you know, if the number is $250 million and, or $300 million and they're only getting $10 million per or $8 million per and, uh, you know, the, the current TV deal brings in three, um, you know, and, and the the buy the, the new owner can you know make that money up in, in three seasons uh, probably not it probably doesn't make sense to do it at that number so you're talking about a, a significant increase uh, certainly over five hundred million dollars uh, like I said I've, I've heard the number uh, six and seven hundred being pushed the question though becomes is there anybody that's willing to buy a $600 million asset that generates $30 million in revenue and, and a 20 times multiple for an, a, you know, an MLS soccer team that's losing $15 million a year uh, does not sound like a great investment. I'm not going to say that there aren't people that would be willing to buy in uh, because they are pro sports teams, because they are limited, because they do go up in value. But, you know, just simply from a, uh, you know, a dollars and cents standpoint, the numbers don't work. So just explain that a little uh, further. Is that is that pretty much standard practice uh, in any league when uh, an expansion franchise comes in, they pay a fee, and then that fee is uh, you know, a portion of that fee is essentially shared by the existing teams? Is that what you're saying? That's correct. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Um, you know, so it's, it's divvied up. Uh, and in MLS, uh, that's been kind of the business model, um, you know. I hate to use the term because I certainly don't believe that it is, but it's a little bit Ponzi schemish in the sense that, you know, it's waiting for the next guy to, to buy in so that we can get a payday um, because the teams don't make money on a, on a, you know, a year to year basis, or most of the teams don't make money on a year to year basis. Um, but uh, yeah, the, that is how it works. Um, that's also why, 
you know, expansion continues to happen in leagues like the NFL, because when somebody's willing to write uh, a check for, you know, that kind of money and, and owners can, you know, pocket $30 million a piece, uh, there's just not that many that are uh, willing to walk away from that. What what does an NFL franchise cost these days? If you wanted to get in, well, NFL franchises are going for you know over two billion if they're going on the open market. Um, there hasn't been a an expansion franchise in a long time in the NFL. Yeah, well, <laughs> those are interesting numbers. I mean that when you like you said two or three times the 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 cost the current cost it just seems inconceivable, and uh, and how. How deep can this expansion run for for MLS? How many teams can they add to to make it continue to work? Well, you know, I, I guess that's the whole thing, right? Like the, I, I think there's no reason for the if people are willing to buy in at five six hundred million dollars, they'll take as many as they can. I, there's no reason for them not to because the owners will just continue to you know cash twenty million dollar checks apiece. Um, but you know, in, in terms of a uh, you know, supporting the markets. Garber seems to think that there are plenty of other markets that could support a major league soccer team, but supporting major league soccer team, I I don't know what that means because the existing markets aren't supporting them, at least in terms of generating a profit. You know what I mean? So it's supporting a team in the sense that there are other fans that like soccer. Yeah. I think there's a lot of other cities that have fans that would be interested in watching soccer. Yeah. I don't know if there, how many cities there are that are able to generate, uh, you know, a profitable business model, though. And, and that's the problem the league has right now. Well, you got Inter-Miami, Nashville, Austin, St. Louis, Sacramento, maybe Charlotte, because could they be at the top of the heap for number 30? And, and then some of the other cities, Las Vegas, you mentioned Phoenix a couple of times. Indianapolis was in there for a while. Raleigh. So if Charlotte comes in, that's not going to happen, you wouldn't think. Uh, Detroit, uh, not sure what happened to Detroit, but boy, there was some movement there. Detroit doesn't have a venue. Detroit's no. problem is there's no venue. If, if, if Detroit had a soccer, a soccer specific stadium, Detroit would get a team. Uh, San Diego is one that doesn't get nearly enough coverage, but San Diego is a, is a serious candidate for an MLS club. And now with the recent announcement that Landon Donovan is a vice president and a coach of the USL team, which would be, uh, the one that were, probably would eventually become uh, the MLS side. I don't know if it works just like that all the time, but you would think that uh, perhaps that could happen too. I think his name and his, you know, his his uh, place in the market could certainly help too. Don't you think? No doubt. Uh, I would say that Donovan's participation in the San Diego franchise uh, gives him a tremendous leg up. We're with a Corey left from John Wall Street. So you said a couple of things there. Uh, the uh, and you're talking about marketing these teams. You, you wrote a uh, you wrote a May uh, May in your daily newsletter on May 20th, and we got to let everybody know how to get this daily newsletter too before we get off. But uh, uh, there, there's a title uh, that the headline is MLS masquerading as authentic soccer, growth in major markets stunted. So as we relate to the finances and, and the profit or lack thereof uh, of these teams. Uh, the thrust of this was that the uh, the concern was not with an expansion team like Miami or Nashville, but more like the places Dallas and, and Chicago in particular uh, that are, are really suffering. So how about that? Yeah, I mean, it's been interesting. MLS has done really well uh, in some markets, uh, markets like Portland, Seattle, uh, Atlanta. We've obviously seen done 
uh, or do really well. Uh, but MLS has not been able to really capture the major market. Um, it hasn't captured New York and Chicago. LA being the exception, uh, of course, they did, you know, terrific with LA uh, FC, uh, and of course the Galaxy. I'm a big fan. But uh, LA aside, um, you know, MLS soccer has not done a a particularly well, you know, a particularly good job of capturing uh, the big city sports fan, and and so uh, you know lens questions about you know how successful can the league be with, without those markets um and and that was kind of the crux of, of the piece um Dennis Crowley who you know certainly has uh, a conflicting agenda um made some good points though um I, I think you know his points in terms of the fact that there isn't promotion and relegation it does impact the mindset in terms of how teams are built how players play um and ultimately how the games are played and, 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 and what the games mean. So, um, you know, while I understand Dennis has uh, an ulterior motive, um, I, I do think some of the points he made were valid. Now, tell us who Dennis Crowley is. We can't assume everybody knows. Yeah, well, so Dennis was the uh, was the founder of Foursquare, um, and he owns a, a soccer um, I'm, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say I'm not sure exactly even which league it is, but it's a lower level soccer league. Um, that has a, a a local soccer model. So he's uh, he's obviously put in some time to uh, to compare and contrast. I mean, one of the things uh, that was discussed, and you hear this all the time, Corey, is and this relates to the collective bargaining agreement that's being negotiated currently. It expires at the end of January 2020. Is increased spending so that you can get top players, top global players with a name into these markets and draw more interest. So what's your stance on that after studying it a little bit? Take New York City FC, David Villa, uh, Andrea Pirlo, Frank Lampard. Attendance figures were far superior in the early stages of this franchise than they were in this its fifth season. Yeah, you know, I think the the question becomes, you know, what does MLS want to be, right? Um, do we want to be a showcase for for over the hill, you know, talent? Um, maybe, and and I think that's that's you know, you you see some short term gains that way. You'll see, you know, some spikes in in attendance to see some of those players. But I don't think that's how you build the league long term. And I think that's what the league's realized. And I think that's why you're starting to see uh, them going to you know build these academies and 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 uh kind of develop talent um and 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 try to put a you know uh instead of you know one you know elite player at the top of the roster that makes all the money um and, and then a whole bunch of other guys you know try to balance that out a little bit with better talent across the roster and uh and, and perhaps the theory is that the, the level uh you know across the league increases and i think that's probably a good strategy um you know i think that the uh, going for the Lampards of the world, you're not you're not developing soccer fans in in this country um, because uh, you know a guy like that comes over here. I think that uh, you know the U.S. fan, the U.S. sports fan, is used to having the best product, uh, the best pro sports. Um, it, we are not going to be able to provide that for them right now. MLS being we, uh, so um, you know, I, I think the, the goal needs to be to to make the quality of, of the game uh, as as high as possible. And and so um, you know, if that means leaving out some of the you know the flash at the top, um, so that you know the entire roster can be uh, can be better, then I, I think that's a wise decision. Well, there's been discussion about quality of broadcast, especially on the regional level. And I want to get to that in a moment. But before we leave this, 
How about the, what do you think of the schedule? And uh, we were just discussing before uh, we started recording this, the fact that MLS Cup was on a Sunday going head-to-head with the NFL and that the numbers uh, had uh, were half as much as they were uh, a year ago on Fox uh, this year on the ABC network. So, you know, you've got a, you've got a league that is uh, in a different uh, scheduling uh time frame than, than the rest of the world but also trying to prevent this intersection with some of the other major sports where they're going to to lose interest so h- how do you look at that you know generally speaking i like the idea of a shorter season uh you know so moving the game up from this you know mid-december uh into early november uh is something that i would generally support i i just don't know about um you know moving the you know Unfortunately, moving it to an NFL Sunday uh, from a a Saturday in December that only has the Army Navy game uh, probably is not uh, the way to draw the casual sports fan. I don't have a great solution for it, unfortunately. Um, you know, do you play the game on Friday night? Maybe. Um, you know, I, I you can't go head to head with college football on Saturday. You don't want to go head to head with the NFL on Sunday. Uh, you could leave the game in December on a Saturday. Uh, but if you're trying to condense the season, uh, which, like I said, I think is a good strategy. Um, yeah, it, it's a tough situation. And it's the, it's, you know, the NFL is running into a similar type of deal where uh, the NFL wants to expand the playoffs. They want to add a seventh team in each conference. Uh, they can stack three playoff games on Saturdays, excuse me, uh, on Sundays. Um, but you can't really stack three playoff games on a Saturday. Um, and, and uh, you know, the league is very hesitant to, uh, to play at noon, four and eight on Saturday. So, uh, and you can't play the game on Monday because the Monday is the college football national championship game. So, um, you know, you run into, you, when you start to uh, add teams, juggle dates, uh, you, you're going to run into, uh, some of these established properties, uh, that, that have kind of, uh, earmarked, uh, the calendar years in advance. All right, Corey Leff, John Wall Street, uh, our guest. John Wall Street at the intersection of sports and finance, uh, got a daily newsletter, and uh, you want to sign up. Some of this stuff is really, really interesting, and uh, occasionally a soccer story pops up, which is cool. How about uh, we move on to the television side, uh, because you, you do focus on media, and, yeah. uh, and, we're, and we're talking about TV, trying to place these games. Uh, actually, the, the conference semifinals and finals, uh, single elimination, were played on Tuesdays and Wednesdays this past year to avoid all those conflicts. But now it's about how to uh, best get the product into the homes across the country. And uh, MLS uh, has, uh, well, what it appears to be a radical idea, although it's not unusual, but be more centralized, I guess is the best way to put it, in their uh, regional telecast. So, could you tell us a little bit about that? Well, it's an you know, it's not a like you said, it's not an uncommon strategy. Uh, we're seeing it you know, you know, heavily on the college sports side. You see, like Pac-12 Network uh, has you know, kind of aggregated all of their rights, um, and and it certainly seems wise that MLS would would look to aggregate all the local rights together. Um, I, I guess the question that I have is, you know, where's the real value in that, and and how much uh, are, are those local rights worth? MLS does not pull huge ratings on the local level. Um, this is not, you know, the Major League Baseball RSNs here. So uh, while you have this media 
agreement coming up in 23, as you mentioned, um, I'm not sure that there's a pot of gold on the other side of the rainbow here. Um, the, you know, well, how does it all I've inter? Heard- how does it all intermingle? Because you've got the the, the digital side, which becomes uh, pretty uh, influential, and I, I would imagine that's going to be where we end up watching, uh, you know, a lot of the games rather than uh, maybe on our tube as we have in the past. But I'm just curious about all the intersections of that, and and when they uh, eventually package all this, uh, it, it, the current deal is ninety million dollars. Do you anticipate it's going to go up quite a bit? I mean, I've seen some reports saying close to a billion, but is that possible? <laughs> you know, it's funny you say that. Um, I spoke to somebody the other day who was saying that, you know, the meteorites would need to triple for teams to break even. Um, and then I ran that by some meteorites uh, experts and they said triple, um, you might see a 30% increase. And that's if they're able to bundle the rights with, uh, you know, RSNs, you know, the, the the local rights, if they're able to package it with NWSL. Um, and, and, and remember, like I said, they're, they're already packaged with, uh, you know, the, the national teams and the Mexican national team games in the U.S. So, um, no, a uh, billion dollars is not going to happen. A uh, $500 million is not going to happen. Um, the question is, is, you know, can this get to three hundred million dollars a year? Uh, and and uh, the experts that I'm that I'm talking to uh, do not believe that will be the case. Well, let me ask you. And we both read the Athletic. Uh, Paul Maurer, Paul Tenorio doing a great job. They got this uh, Boston Consulting Group study and recommendations to Major League Soccer. And I just want to jump in there, Glenn. I, that piece that um, it, it was the first time I had seen it when you sent it over. But SBJ had done a uh, actually got their hands on that back in February. Um, that was not a new study. That study had been kind of floating out there for a bit. Yeah, it's from 2016. So there's some, I guess, elder information in there. But what was uh, interesting is how uh, the suggestions of this uh, Boston Consulting Group, uh, you can see that MLS is responding to some of it. Now, on the broadcast side, as we as we move and and, and that was part of the article, too, is just this centralized uh, regional telecast somehow uh, bringing a, a more consistent product is what they put because they they said a lot of the, uh, the feedback they've gotten is the quality of the broadcasts and the quality of the broadcasters and that the broadcasters are too negative and that's one where I got a bit uh, look I, I've been commentating quite a long time and uh, and if you see something that's not quite right um, you you know you put put the word out. And if you see something that's uh, proper and, and of quality, you put the word out. You describe it. You try to describe to the audience, you know, maybe why it went one way or why it went the other way. I, I'm just wondering, in your experience uh, uh, studying sports media, uh, are there similar situations where the league you know, comes in and says, uh, you're too negative, and if you're not more positive, we're just going to have to remove you and somebody else will do it? No, actually, I've never heard that. I usually the complaints are on the other side. Usually the complaints are that the the home announcers are so fair weathered that it's impossible to listen. That everything <laughs> is overwhelmingly positive. Well, I know there's um, a lot of that. I know there's a lot of that. But uh, yeah, it, this uh, yeah, is, no. It's almost I, like putting I, a I, muzzle. I, it's almost like putting a muzzle. I got that's the way I read it. It's like muzzling the commentators. I don't like it. Um, yeah, I mean, just generally speaking. Uh, it, Broad sports in general needs to 
they need to be more um, transparent with the fans. Uh, they need to open up the game more. Last night, if I don't know if you happened to, and I just dated your podcast, sorry, but um, in, in the, <laughs> the right. Brown Steelers game, uh, in, in the Brown Steelers game uh, last night, Miles um, Garrett hit or swung um, a helmet at the Steelers quarterback. Did you happen to catch that? I did not. I did not. Okay, so it, it'll be making headlines today and probably throughout the weekend. But Miles Garrett swung a helmet uh, at the Pittsburgh quarterback, who it was his own helmet. He wasn't wearing a helmet. Um, so, you know, he could have killed the guy. Um, and NFL Network was able to get Baker Mayfield right after the game, and you know, while you know tensions were still running really high because this happened with like five or ten seconds left in the game, um, and they asked Baker about it, and he was just very honest, and it was great television. He was like, um, you know, Miles is going to be suspended. We're, you know, he's hurting the team again, and there's nothing else that you can really say about it. There's no excuse for it, and it was just very raw. Um, it was great television, uh, and it was exactly what the fans. Are, it's what the fans want. Um, we don't want uh, cookie cutter quotes. We don't want uh, everything to be positive. We want the broadcaster. We want the players to to bring us behind the curtain. And so, uh, yeah, I, I'm surprised to hear that. I, I would think that uh, MLS, uh, that fans would want uh, the most on point, you know, accurate coverage of their team. Well, and I don't think I've overstated it yet. It's just the consulting group's uh, idea and advice and uh, whether MLS, uh, you know, attains that sort of position where they uh, meet with the broadcasters and say you have to focus more on the quality than the negative. You know, that remains to be seen. One thing we do know is that Major League Soccer needs the publicity. That's through the, uh, the, the communications departments, with the interviews with the players, the coaches, whether it's radio, whether it's television, whether it's print, whether it's online. And uh, wouldn't you say that that, uh, you know, and, and there are going to be sometimes some, um, some negative commentary or constructive criticism, whatever it might be. Isn't that a good thing for a league? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, generally speaking, I think a league like MLS just wants to be in the conversation. Uh, so, you know, a league like the NFL probably could do today without having Miles Garrett, you know, swinging his helmet. A league like MLS, if they were dominating the headlines today, would, would love that. Right. Um, so, yes. Um, well, where they've dominated think- the headlines recently is the departure of two of their Two of their stars, Latan Ibrahimovic and then Wayne Rooney earlier, uh, both out of the league now. That you know that goes back to our discussion about getting, uh, you know, w- how important a marquee player can be uh, for a franchise or for that community and and drawing drawing fans. I mean, look, Thierry Henry has just been named head coach of the Montreal Impact, and apparently the Impact, where ticket sales uh, were were waning. You know, the fo- phone was ringing off the hook. People want to re-up, you know. They want to get their season tickets so they can look at Henri on the sideline, I guess. But it's a big name. Yeah, it's a big name. It, it is. And, but, you know, now what happens, uh, you know, with the Ibrahimovic and, uh, you know, he, he comes for a season or two and he's gone. Uh, and now what? Um, you know, can, can LAFC continue to keep that momentum? Uh, you know, what is uh, – what is, what happens to that dynamic there? Um, and, and can MLS, you know, find the guy to replace him? Uh, I, I don't know. I don't think that's a sustainable model. I think that, you know, the direction they're headed in in terms of, uh, you know, building out the the the, um, the youth programs or, or the, uh, 
yeah, the club programs and building out, uh, you know, in, investing in in talent across the roster. Uh, I think that's the way you build this up, um, and and you you build passionate fan bases like they have in in places like Atlanta and, and Seattle, and uh, and and I think that's you grow this thing slowly. I don't think you can just bring in star power and and think you're gonna you know compete with the NFL on Sunday afternoon. That's yeah. not, not feasible. Yeah. Well, also in that uh, Boston Consulting Group uh, recommendation, part of that list was to actually decrease the spending in the academy and put it in other parts. But uh, I recommend anybody to uh, to 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 uh, see that story. I've posted it, and uh, it is a pay service. And uh, this podcast is presented by Pro Soccer USA. But we share information because uh, that's an important one to read. And I know you said it was also put out earlier, so something to, to look closely at. Hey, I, you know, you put out something in uh, earlier mid-October you know, the Orlando City franchise has really struggled. I mean, gosh, with the, the number of coaches they've had, the number of management groups. And uh, you put out there that uh, there's a Miami businessman who uh, you didn't say it's definite. You were maybe there was some assumption from, I don't know, someone you spoke to, but that uh, there might be someone who's uh, who's pretty secure in the soccer realm, uh, ready to purchase Orlando City. What's the what's the status of that? You have any idea? Um, I don't have an update on it. I do know somebody who had gone to dinner with Joe DeGroza, who is a Miami businessman, as you said. He's also uh, a owner of a European soccer club uh, and a and a billionaire owner of a European soccer club. Uh, so um, I don't have an update in terms of uh, where that stands, but I do know, like I said, somebody who had went to dinner with him about a month or two ago, and uh, he was pretty uh, adamant that he would be buying an MLS club. Uh, when I did reach out to MLS, they were not uh, on the same page. They had actually told me that they were not in contact with Joe and didn't know who Joe was. So um, they're either lying, uh, and I certainly don't want to say that they are, but if they aren't, um, I'm a little concerned that they wouldn't know who a uh, you know, the owner of a professional soccer team who lives in the U.S. that has that kind of money is. So um, I would imagine that there probably are some conversations going on. I, I don't know how serious they are. I don't know if Joe is uh, exaggerating how far along it is. Uh, but certainly uh, it certainly sounds like Joe DeGroza has some interest in Major League Soccer and being an owner of a Major League Soccer team. And um, he's not going to own the Miami franchise, the Orlando franchise, uh, would certainly make sense, certainly from a, a proximity standpoint from where he's based. And DeGroza, a New York City guy, was born in Yonkers. And uh, the club that he owns overseas is in Ligue 1 in France, Bordeaux. So, yeah, there's a guy that's uh, – that would be an interesting purchase for MLS, no question about it. Hey, one other thing you put out there, and I, I hope I'm not putting you on the spot here, but and this is from a long time ago, but I find it interesting. Uh, the Red Bulls, who are across the river from New York City FC – uh, in uh, Red Bull Arena, uh, you wrote that they were closing in on the U.S. first arena naming rights agreement with a gaming operator, which is hmm. always interesting territory. Uh, that was yeah, that, that was, was a while ago. I don't know. Is anything going yeah, on there? Um, I don't have any progress on that, but I mean, obviously, there's been a lot of um, movement in the, in the gaming space in New Jersey. Um, I, the, the state just set another record in the month of October. So uh, anybody will be surprised if a, a you know, 
if a gaming operator ends up putting their name on the building, uh, you know, who knows if, if eventually we get the opportunity to put, you know, betting terminals in the building. So uh, there's obviously opportunity in the sports betting space. And, and, and I don't think anybody would be uh, surprised if that ends up happening. Um, I would venture to say that the, the deal that was we were discussing at the time um, did not occur because it's now six months later or so. And yeah, um, yeah it, it, it certainly seems as if that one fell through. And at the time, uh, Don Garber uh, said, quote, uh, the league is close to a major league-wide sponsorship and trying to just uh, diagnose and dissect that. And, uh, and uh, well, Corey, it's, it's always good stuff. It's always good to talk to you. Uh, Corey Leff, John Wall Street. So follow on Twitter, at John Wall Street. And Corey, how can people uh, sign up for your uh, daily newsletter? Yeah, just to just to correct you there, we're at Howie Longshort. Oh my on, gosh, that's uh, right. On, on Twitter, <laughs> sorry, we're, about we're that. at Howie Longshort. Yep, no worries. Um, Howie Longshort, Long and that's part of your uh, your daily uh, your daily uh, newsletter. You have the uh, Howie Longshort of it, <laughs> or however you yes, put it. Yes, Howie is uh, Howie is our finance analyst. Uh, so um, you can you can find us on Twitter at Howie Longshort. You can sign up for the daily newsletter at si.com slash John Wall Street. Uh, if you join our community or follow our community. Uh, it will prompt you to uh, enter your email address and you'll receive our daily newsletter as, as part of that community. So uh, yeah, thank you. Uh, thank you so much for having me, Glenn. You're welcome. And, and even if it's not soccer related, what's the hottest thing you're working on right now? What, 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 what could interest us? Because we're all, we're all fans of <sighs> the market, you know, what's going on? I mean, I know you're working on five things at once probably. Man, that's a good question. I don't know if you saw, uh, Nike shut down Amazon this week, or Nike pulled their their product off of Amazon. Uh, that's probably something. There's no more direct Nike direct sales on Amazon, which is probably something I'll dive into over the weekend. But that's um, crazy, isn't it? I mean, they must make oodles off of Amazon. Amazon probably makes you know oodles off of Nike as well. But or is a Nike of of that ilk where you know they don't need it? I guess that's the yeah, conclusion. Yeah, well, Nike wants to. Nike's trying to build up their direct to consumer business. Um, they weren't selling their like elite stuff. It, it was mostly their like middle market type of product that was going on there anyway. Um, but it'll be interesting to see what that means in terms of other retailers selling product on Amazon moving forward. And uh, I'm looking to have a to dive into that over the weekend. Um, I'm interested in you know the looking at like the the athletic is supposedly in the market uh, raising money again. Uh, I think that's a fascinating one. Um, you're hearing rumors about. Uh, you know, the bars, you know, about Barstool potentially being on the market. Uh, and then there's a couple interesting IPOs that are, uh, you know, it, that have either occurred or, or being talked about. Uh, you have, you know, Peloton came out um, not long ago and, and then Peloton recently announced that they're going to make cheaper bikes. Uh, so that's an interesting one. You have a potential um, top golf IPO coming up. You have Endeavor, who had a failed IPO, and I'm hearing is in serious danger of uh, of running out of capital. Uh, so you have, uh, you know, there's some publicly traded companies or companies that want to be publicly traded uh, that are interesting to follow. Uh, and then, of course, you have, you know, your NFL CBA stuff. You have, uh, you know, NASCAR championship this weekend. All, I mean, there's tons of good stuff coming up. Boxing is and the last quarter for boxing is, is phenomenal. You have a heavyweight championship fight in Saudi Arabia. All sorts of good stuff coming up. All right. Well, that's the kind of stuff you get on the daily newsletter of John Wall Street. Corey, thanks again. Beautiful. Thanks for having me, Glenn. Hashtag sports biz on this episode of On Frame. 
You get a new edition every week, sometimes even twice a week. Uh, next up, I'm going to have my former assistant at Rutgers University, Karina LeBlanc, on with me. She's now the head of women's football for CONCACAF, and she played for John Herdman on the Canadian women's national team. Herdman, now the coach of the Canadian men. Uh, Karina's going to detail why Herdman was so good on the women's side and why she feels he'll continue to succeed on the men's side. They got that big win over the U.S. Uh, earlier in the year. This guy is an enigma, a truly interesting journey to detail with Karina LeBlanc. This is Glenn Crooks on Frame. 